0: This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Phil Toomham of Delmar. He creates art from recycled objects and music by drawing on past traditions and on personal experiences. The songs are the keepers of the stories of the day. They are the compass rose that help us find our way, say the lyrics to Old Songs, which Tumum wrote to benefit the local group that holds concerts, dances, and festivals to keep traditional music alive. He is president of Old Songs, Inc., and worked with other musicians to build the organization a home in Boriesville in what was once a church and later a library. He has loved playing guitar since age 15, When he picked up one left behind by his older brother... I came across Bill because he is doing a good deed, a mitzvah. He is going to be giving a virtual concert which is going to be streamed live on Facebook on May 22nd um, through B'nai Shalom Reform Congregation and it's for a really good cause. It's raising funds for Family Promise. Are you yourself involved in Family Promise at all?
1: Not directly, but our congregation is involved We we there are a number of uh, houses of worship that support family promise in the uh, uh, in the capital district. Uh, It's a subset. There's a there's a national family promise. And this is the uh, the regional. uh, And uh, we are in partnership with Delmar Presbyterian Church. And um, so so the two organizations are co-sponsoring it. And a member of our congregation, uh, Becky Marvin, is a board member of Family Promise. We've supported it for quite a while now. So um, I uh, thought it would just be a nice thing to do uh, to to help that effort.
0: And Family Promise, as I understand it, helps homeless families stay together so that they're not in separate shelters. They they are provided. It, 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 actually,
1: it, it actually provides... Uh, Ah, uh, lodging and support for families. There are a number of what they call host congregations, which actually have the facilities in their um, in their buildings to house people. So, uh, and that's what a Delmar Presbyterian is a host congregation. So they can actually house people. B'nai Shalom doesn't have the uh, facilities to be able to directly house them ourselves. So we are in partnership and support uh, Delmar uh, Presbyterian, and uh, the so families actually stay in the various uh, 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 churches or or, or uh, synagogues and. Uh, uh, f- for a period of time, while uh, while they while uh, Family Promise and other organizations help them to find suitable lodging and other, and I believe they also provide other assistance like assistance in um, transportation and finding employment and so forth. So it's a great organization, and I'm happy to support them.
0: Yeah. So really, the heart of this, though, is finding out about you as a creative person, both a musician and an artist. I was kind of (laughs) bowled over looking at some of your artwork that you have pictured on your website. And before we dive into the music, I'd just like to hear a little about that because um, this is audio, not visual. And if people could see this, I think they'd be amazed. It's like you take discarded parts and you... Make them into sculptures. <laughs> just, just tell us a little about that process.
1: Exactly, it's all uh, recycled materials uh, of various kinds. My favorite is uh, discarded and uh, uh, musical instruments that are no longer serviceable uh, as musical instruments, and uh, I make. Uh, uh, yeah, I call it very. There are various terms for it. I think assemblages is the term that the artists use. You can also call it junk art with J-U-N-Q-U-E, and uh, or or anything else. But uh, I uh, make stuff out of it, and I've uh, I've had it that I'm a member of a couple of arts organizations, so I've had stuff at the. Uh, I've had pieces at the uh, Troy uh, Gallery and the Albany uh, uh, Gallery. Uh, I'm forgetting the exact name of the places and several other places as well. And I've even even sold a piece or two.
0: Well, I love there's such a whimsical nature to them and all through your work both music and art you seem to have this word play going on that's just so much fun like I'm looking right now at Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania is spelled P-E-N-C-I-L because it is made out of pencils uh, yes. so uh, like how is it that you do you find the object first and then think hmm? or do you think of what you want to make and then look for the objects? I mean well, how, how does that process go?
1: Mostly I find the stuff first because you know uh, if I uh, you know the way I work it's it, if I conceive of something then it could be a huge effort to try and find the specific things. Uh-huh. So uh so, and since and since my goal is to re- use recycled materials and and, and buy uh, you know ideally nothing new sometimes I mostly I have to buy fasteners or occasionally I have to buy a piece of wood backing or something like that. but uh, since the goal is to use recycled materials it's more of you know the other term for uh, assemblage is another term the artist uses is found objects or found items uh, and uh, so it's mostly found stuff. One of the the, uh, first ones I did was uh, a bunch of guitar nicks which is on the website. And I was, uh, you know, I've been playing the guitar since I was 15 and I I love guitar. I have a bunch of them. And uh, I was up at the Saratoga guitar uh, show that was run by the late uh, Matt McCabe. And uh, I found a suitcase full of guitar necks for something like 20 bucks. And I just thought, I gotta have it. I don't know what I'll do with it, but I gotta have it. And so I I brought it home and uh, my wife thought I was nuts, basically, as, as did the guy I was with at the guitar show. But they sat around for a long time, probably you know, four or five years, and then suddenly I had this brainstorm and I uh, laid them out on a four by four uh, uh, sheet, uh, sheet of plywood covered with canvas. And I decided, yeah, that's what I wanna do with it. And so I made a kind of an abstract piece out of a uh, nine or 10 guitar necks. And since then, since then, I've come came across a bunch of banjo necks, and I made a sequel to it, among other
2: things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the one that I'm looking at, and I'm just uh, intrigued by the title although I don't understand what the objects are. It's called the Mother's Day tree. What is that made out of, and how, how did Mother's Day come into it?
1: Well, uh, okay, a few, a few things there. Um, our synagogue had a, an organ, an electronic organ from the 1950s that was donated some time ago before I joined. And um, it stopped working. And it also, uh, for a while in reform synagogues, organs were in fashion and they've gone out of fashion. Uh, uh, There may still be, uh, to my knowledge, I'm not an expert on that, but, uh, so it didn't work. And uh, it just sat there taking up a lot of space. And I uh, I am kind of the, I'm chairman of the house committee of the synagogue, which means sort of the resident uh, handyman get things done. So, um, eventually, we decided to get rid of it, and I was charged with doing that. I found a—so I thought, well, I'll sell it. Somebody's got to want this thing. I found a retired minister in Del Mar who restored old old organs, and I called him up, and he said, uh, it isn't worth anything, and I didn't really believe him, (laughs) but— He was right. It was I couldn't. I couldn't give it away. So I took it apart. It has some nice wood. I saved some of the wood, and I and I saved some of the pieces. Um. And uh, I those brackets uh, held some of the uh, the circuitry. This thing. This was amazing. This is pre transistors and pre integrated circuits. It had each note, and I think it had something like 52 keys. Each key had its own tone generator, which was a, a circuit with a vacuum tube. So there were 52 of these things lined up inside, intricately wired, the The, the, the workmanship in it was beautiful. I really hated to be taking the thing apart, because I could see see uh, uh, how, how much craftsmanship put into it. But in any event, uh, I did, because there was nothing else to do with it. And I, those brackets, I saved some of the stuff. So then I, uh, I took, there's a place over in uh, Western Massachusetts called Snow Farm that uh, teaches various craft uh, activity, arts and craft activities. And uh, I had learned to weld uh, a long time ago, shortly after I got out of college, but I hadn't welded in uh, uh, as a kind of a hobbyist thing. So I went over to Snow Farms. I signed up for a, a, a five-day class there and I took a bunch of stuff from my basement. And uh, learning to weld, I made that, and I decided. Uh, and when and when I came home, it was Mother's Day weekend, so I gave it to my wife as her <laughs> Mother's Day <laughs> present, and that's why it's the Mother's Day tree.
0: I love it, and it looks like a tree, but it also looks kind of uh, like a whimsical. Yeah, organic. Well, what would it be like a?
1: Well, you know, a it's, deer it's, with
0: antlers.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, it's made except for the base. It's there. There are some. There's a whole bunch of identical brackets, mounting brackets. Uh, they're all identical, and I just. Uh, you know, kind of laid the thing out. And the way I do, I have no uh, formal art training or, or informal art training for that matter. So I just kind of lay things out and, 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 until I, and see what I could do with them until I get an idea of what to do with them. And then I play with that to see what I think looks good. And that, that's basically what I did with that. So it turned into something that to me uh, looks like a tree.
0: It does. Well, I just love your creativity. It's kind of bursting out of every pore. So just (laughs) tell us, where did this come from? Tell us a little about your life growing up. I know you mentioned you started guitar at 15, but, like, what were your parents like? What was your family like? Where did this creative impulse spring from?
1: My my father was an engineer, but that was... uh, he was an old school engineer. When you went to engineering school, it was very hands-on at the time. This was in the 1930s, uh, during the Depression, probably during the, no, it wouldn't have been the 20s. And he had, uh, he came over from Russia when he was 15, and he had the old school work ethic. Um, And he, he liked working with his hands. And uh, so he, uh, he became an engineer, uh, he bit, but before that he was a machinist and a tool and die maker. So he, he was terrific with tools. He had a small shop in the basement. He got a really nice shop in the basement later on, but unfortunately I was already out of the house. So I learned how to work with tools and and he also had an attitude of, I you know, if it, you could fix anything. Didn't always work, but but he—that was his attitude, and that's kind of what I developed, which <laughs> occasionally didn't work out so well. But for the most part, it's great. So I've always worked with my hands uh, on stuff, and I, I'm uh, I'm I'm also an engineer. Um, so. Uh, uh, and my work life, I didn't do, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I didn't work with my hands, but, uh, you know, everything else, I, I tend to do that. Uh, where did the creativity part of it come from? I don't know. My parents were uh, you know, uh, um, reasonably well-educated, and uh, and uh, the... Uh, Beyond that, I don't know. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. It's just, it's
1: just it's, what. The, it's, just, it's just what
0: I. It's you just know, in there. It's just it's part just, of just, it. You know, it's what
1: I grew up with.
0: So, what led you to the guitar at fifteen? How how did that happen? Uh,
1: well, um, my brother, my older brother, went in the service, and he left two junky guitars behind, and. Um, one was an eleven dollar guitar and one was a seven dollar guitar, just to give you an idea. Oh my so they, 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 you uh, I think the eleven dollar one that was the new price, the seven dollar one it was a used one. Um and uh, so my younger brother and I picked them up and we're fooling around with them we made up our own chords. And um, uh, for a, a, a couple of the cowboy songs that we were in our, our school songbook, and then um, uh, I bumped into a guy who had just moved to the area in uh, when I was fifteen. Who uh, we, this was pre-school bus day, so we walked to school, and on the way, and I lived in a, a, a semi-rural uh, area. Uh, and this, so, so, you know, I had friends I walked home with. This one guy moved to the area and he played the guitar. And he said, I said, Oh, I have a guitar. And he said, Well, I'll teach you something. And he taught me the, uh, there's a song on on that first CD called Four Chords. Those, if you know those four chords, you could play ninety percent of the duop songs that of all the duop songs that were ever recorded. <laughs> mm. If you know those four chords, so all of a sudden when I learned those four chords, now I could play a whole bunch of songs. And uh, then, uh, so fast forward a couple of years and. All of a sudden, the dances used to be sock hops, And then I think I was in 10th grade, and I went to a dance, and there was a band playing with um, uh, uh, two guitars, two regular guitars, a a bass guitar, and a drummer. And... um, They were mostly instrumentals. I think they sang one song or two songs. And I just turned green with envy, and I said, I gotta do this. So I went to summer school and took And I thought, what can I get in the, how can I learn something the fastest? Because I didn't have an electric guitar and I wasn't that good on it. And I went to summer school where they taught uh, a band, uh, there was a band class where you could learn an instrument from the music teacher. And I signed up to, he was was teaching marching drums because they had a marching band for the football games. And I signed up, I learned basic drumming, and I bought myself, uh, I still remember, for $75. I bought, I bought a three-piece drum set from a place in Middletown, New York, called the Gun Center, believe it or not, in this little corner where they sold musical instruments, and, uh, and I was a drummer. And I got in, and and I got in a band with this guy who had been teaching me the guitar, and I, a couple of others. And uh, we were terrible, but we were a band. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how I got started playing music.
0: Well, I love on your website. You have a picture. Maybe it is that band. It's an old black and white picture, and it's creased, and there. There, you know. I'm assuming you was a young person with your bandmates in that so picture. That, that,
1: that's, a, that's a few bands later when okay. we worked our when we had worked our way up to being mediocre. <laughs> it was not the same one, but we were, you know, we, we were we were okay. You know, as I for a high school age band, played dances and stuff. We were okay, maybe even pretty good.
0: So, <laughs> how is it that you became a songwriter? I mean, it's one thing to be playing some. Someone else's song, and quite a different thing, I would imagine, to be writing your own.
1: Yeah, it is very different. Well, I wanted to from from uh, almost from day one I wanted to write songs, and I wasn't uh, wasn't very good at it. And then in in the, the band, I think it's that band in the picture, or at least with uh, maybe one of the other guys. I was in in we had an opportunity for to auditioned for a big time studio in New York in, in the city. And uh, we're rehearsing at the bass player's house, my friend Ray, and um, all of a sudden he gets a, his cousin who lived next door comes over and says, there's a call for you in my house. Well, the guy says, we're looking for, he said, I remember I, I was in your cousin's house and I heard you played with a band. We're looking for talent, we want to we want to audition. Now this is about 19, it's the early 60s, so the Beatles are out and all these groups, all these singer-songwriter groups, People, you know, the groups that uh, write their own songs. So he asks us, he says, write some songs that come down to audition to, for us. So Raymond and I write a, one and a half songs, basically, uh, and um, we go down an audition. This is a studio. It was Scepter Wand Records. Louie Louie, the record Louie Louie, was on the wall. Uh, there was a Dionne Warwick gold record on the wall, uh, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? It was a big-time studio, and uh, it was the real thing. There was a group that was rehearsing when we came in, They were really good. We were kind of intimidated. So we 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 played our song, our one song, and then we played a couple of our the covers that we played in the band. And they said, well, your songs aren't any good, but well, if you're willing, we'll work with you. And um, uh, then if something comes out of it, then we'll talk about, you know, a contract or something like that. So now we were two 18-year-olds and two 19-year-olds this time. So I'm a freshman in college, two of us are freshmen in college, two are high school seniors. The high school seniors go back and spread it over the school that were, throughout the school that were famous rock stars. I'm not there because I'm now, I was going uh, uh, to school, I was home on the weekends. So, we try and write some songs. We do a couple of a couple of songs, and then uh, we go back. We spend they they must have invested twenty four hours of studio time in us, and um, we were not happy because they were telling us how to play. And at that time, multi tracking studio recording was coming in, and all of this stuff. And um, to make a long story short, we we had a band meeting, and we decided to tell them that they were ruining our sound. So, as, as, only, as only teenagers can do <laughs> So uh, To make a long story short They invited us to go find another studio That wouldn't ruin their, their uh, Our sound And we went off in a huff self-righteously And it wasn't until some years later That I realized That we had this fabulous opportunity That we really screwed up About as well as you we could So So um, Uh, Well, I bounced right back from that, and 25 years later, I wrote my first song. (laughs) (laughs) And and I started, so I started, uh, it actually started at now, now we're in a whole new environment. uh, we started writing, uh, people were, there was a, uh, wholesale retirement at, across the state. I worked for a state agency and we started with a friend of mine, we started writing parodies to roast people as they retired. And, uh, so even though I had kind of, I was kind of waiting for the bolt of lightning to hit. So I would, you know, so all of a sudden I could start writing songs uh, well that never happened but we're writing these parodies so we would take existing songs and change the words and then one guy retired and I uh he was the head of the state agency and I wrote a real song for him it was about the Adirondack Park because he had been chairman of the Adirondack Park agency and, all of the, and a couple of people said, hey, you know, especially his family, was very appreciative. And uh, so I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I can write songs. And then just uh, uh, serendipitously, a songwriting camp called Summer Songs um, started up in the Catskills in 1999. And... Uh, I actually, I also on that first CD, I have that a song called "Summer Song," which was inspired by that. And so I started going there, and then I learned how to write songs. I learned, you know, rather than waiting for the bolt of lightning and, and divine intervention that. that if you're waiting for that, it might be a very long wait. And I learned uh,
2: from from some wonderful people uh, about uh, you know some of the craft of writing
1: songs. And I was a, uh, I went to that camp for probably f- 15 years. They have a they're still around, and they uh, they had a there was a week long summer camp and a, a winter weekend. And uh, I, I eventually after a few years, I got on the board and I was president of that board for. quite quite a while. It's uh, it's a terrific organization.
0: Well, I like the lesson from that, because I think it's true with almost any creative process. There is no bolt of lightning. You've got to just work through the craft of it. But what I'd like to do now is play one of your songs and um, I'll just also just tell our listeners that um, who are very familiar with the Old Songs Festival that takes place in Altamont. And you are president of that board of directors, right?
2: Yes, and right.
0: this song is called Old Songs. So we are going to listen to this and then hear about... I hope, how you came to write it and what the process was. Here we go.
2: The sun comes up each morning At night the sun goes down In spite of everything we do This world keeps spinning round And I don't mean to say We should be living in the past But some things come And some things go, and some were built to last Nothing seems to say it like the old songs Nothing moves me the same way Nothing you can find will ease a troubled mind Like the old songs, the songs of yesterday go by, mighty structures fade from memory Ravaged by the sands of time and pull of gravity The songs are the keepers of the stories of the day They are the compass rose that helps us find our way Nothing seems to say like the old Nothing moves me the same way Nothing you can find We sing a song From the days of yore We honor the memories Of those who came before From ancient rides and rhythms To the whirling of the spheres The stories, tales, and ballads Are music to these ears And nothing seems to say it Like the old songs Nothing Seems to say it like the old songs Nothing moves me the same way Nothing you can find will ease a troubled mind Like the old songs, the songs of yesterday Like the old songs, the songs of yesterday
0: That was just really great to listen to. Oh, thank you. So thank you. I'm, just tell us a little about how that song came to be. I'm particularly interested if you work from the words or you work from the melody, or how do they come together in your head?
1: So first, let me just uh, mention that... Um, one of the neat things about that song is on the Hammered Dolls, Bill Spence, the late Bill Spence, uh-uh. is playing Hammered Dulcimer. And uh, uh, Roger Mock, who was the art director and assistant director at Old Songs for many years, is playing. I'm just looking at the CD. I don't remember if he's playing uh, uh, guitar or. Um, Oh wait a minute! No, when we played it live, he's not. He, I don't think. I don't think he's on that. Uh, on the recording, I know he's accompanied me uh, on the mandolin on that several times. But Bill is on there, which is a was a wonderful thing. Um, and uh, so uh, we uh, about the time I got on the old songs board two thousand and two, we started looking for a permanent home. And uh, we ended up buying the building on South Main Street, which was the uh, originally a, a church, and then it was the Voorheesville Library for many years, then it was a sports bar, or perhaps two different sports bars, and then we bought it, and a bunch of us were restoring it. And uh, as it happened, I was between jobs at the time, and I had given myself a sabbatical, so I had a fair amount of time, so I... Uh, worked on it along with lots of other folks. And then uh they every um January um uh Andy Spence, who was the uh you know the founder and executive director there, would put on a sampler concert to raise money to jumpstart the festival in the summer. And uh and they would get uh the locals to play. So, uh, somehow the idea came up that the people who worked on the building should, um, play there. And there were enough of us there, but about half the people who worked on the building were musicians and including Bill and, um, we didn't, so it, it sort of floundered around because there were, there, we weren't a band. We were just a bunch of, a bunch of uh, people. And then, so I talked to Andy and I said, well, you, uh, I, you want me to write some songs? You want me to organize this thing? And she, said, she said, sure, go ahead. And I talked to the others and I said, well, I have a couple of songs that I'm working on. Is that okay? Or do you want to do something else? They said, sure, we'll do your songs. So I, uh, I, I don't remember whether I started writing it then or I finished, you know, or I wrote it specifically for that sampler concert, but uh, that's where it came about. And I tried really hard to to write it as if it could have been written, you know, in the in the 19th century uh, to make it sound like that and to uh, to make the arrangement sound like that. Uh, So, uh, you know, and then I just tried to imagine, okay, well, what what kind of language would would you use in, in, a, in a song in that period there was you know you don't they didn't use a lot of fancy imagery or things like that so i wanted to cuz some people i was in a few different uh, songwriting uh, circles and you know people would we critique each other's songs and people would say, well, it's too, uh, you know, gee, you should use some more imagery. And I said, well, no, that's that's out of the character for what I'm doing in this particular song. Uh, so uh, uh, it was uh, and that's where the and uh, So the first performance of that was at the sampler in I think uh, 2004. And then when it came time to record it, to record it, I, I had to have Bill play on it. And fortunately, he agreed to do so. Um, so uh, so that's what, uh, that's the story of. <laughs> of. Yeah,
0: I love the story. And what I like is I had thought until this conversation of music writing as kind of an independent, like you're alone in a room or Beethoven going on his long walks. But here it came out of a, a group consciousness. You know, it came out of yeah. this idea of a fundraiser for a, a cause for old songs. And uh, people working physically together on a building <laughs> and um, filling a, a community need, actually. Yeah, so
1: so it was, you know, there was sort of that group dynamic, and then I wrote it. My I actually wrote it myself, but um, the uh, uh, but as far as you know, where all of the uh, the background came from, it was from that whole being sort of steeped in that, you know, spending a few months in that building with. Uh, with the other folks who so obviously all of whom were dedicated to to old songs and to the kind of music you know traditional music so uh that's kind of what inspired the uh, the whole thing uh to go to your other question um mostly i write lyrics first but not always uh there's another um there's a song on that cd called joe pie joe pie is a plant that's, uh, that's grows in the north I think it's uh, my wife is the master gardener but uh, uh, she I, uh, so, but I had to make it botanically correct <laughs> but it would pass her approval when I wrote it but that one that was one where I uh, I woke up in the morning with a tune in my head and I spent uh, pretty much the, the better part of a Sunday trying to learn it on the guitar because uh, my, uh, my ear is not that good. So if I hear something in my head, I don't just sit down and play it. I have to figure it out. But, so I figured that out, and for the longest time, it was an instrumental. And uh, I called it. Uh, my daughter uh, had been talking about discovering this plant, Joe Pye. And I thought, oh, that's a pretty neat name. So I named the song Joe Pye and then a while later after i was playing it for a while i thought maybe i should try and put lyrics to it and 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 i did that and i came up with it now that's one of my favorite of my songs um so uh but but in most cases i'd say i write the lyrics first uh and then uh and then try and come up with music that uh, uh, goes, you know, that, that matches the spirit of the, and the intent of the song.
0: I'm going to have to listen to that. My husband brought home Joe Pye for us. It's taller than we are. It's a huge native plant. So, it's just so, taken uh, over the front of our house.
1: So there's one of the... Uh, uh, it, it's a... Uh, what would you call it? An anthropomorphization. Or I'm not sure I got that right, but you know, it, it, it personifies the Joe Pye plant. one of the lines is, I grow six feet tall and look you in the eye.
0: <laughs> I love it. That's great. Um, the kind of music that you do, and maybe it's because we just listen to old songs, it seems like it's the kind of music that brings people together. You know, so often people are listening through their earbuds and have music as like a a separate function rather than as with the old song concerts where people come together. And your kind of songwriting seems to me to be the kind that you know, I read in some of the notes you had taken. Um, we all know about sea shanties that sailors would sing, and you've developed your own form of land <laughs> shanties. Yeah,
1: no, for, for <laughs> land lovers who who, who uh, get motion sickness. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, but just this idea of like a shared music is that is that part of your philosophy uh, or?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. Um, you know, it's hard to find a label for it, but, you know, when people ask what kind you do, I say, well, contemporary folk. And, and now lately I just come across a new term that I'm using, acoustic Americana, because Americana is one of the latest uh, terms of art for for this, you know, uh, American amalgamation of so many different traditions and styles and, uh, and subjects and all of that. But it's uh, many, m- many of my songs are story songs. Um, and um, they're, uh, you know, so you have to, uh, you know, they're kind of songs you have to listen to because there's, you know, you, uh, the, the, uh, Cause I'm not right. You know, I do a few instrumentals that are just, uh, you know, designed to, you know, like, uh, like the Joe Pye one I mentioned, that's a nice instrumental. I think it's that would stand alone, even if you didn't listen to the, the lyrics, but most of my songs, if you, uh, if you just, uh, if you don't listen to the words, I think musically, I think they're pretty good, but they're not, uh, they're not going to be. Uh, 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 they're not going to be top forty hits. <laughs> uh, you know, they're not that kind. Is they? They're for, They're for mostly for listening to and singing along.
0: Well, thank you. I've just enjoyed this so much. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners?
1: Uh, well, first of all, Melissa, thank you. So a pleasure to meet you. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And just put in another plug for the Family Promise concert I'll be doing live streaming from the Delmar Presbyterian Church on Saturday, May 22nd at 730. And it will be carried uh, on the Facebook pages of B'nai Shalom Reform Congregation Delmar Presbyterian Church and Family Promise of the Capital District. So uh, it'll be, uh, I understand it, uh, and the wonderful people at Delmar Presbyterian are, have been working very hard to, do with, uh, to, to uh, take care of the, the, uh, the tech side of things. So uh, uh, it'll be, they're doing the live streaming stuff, and I'm very grateful for that.
0: Well, we'll be listening. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, and of course, all funds, including any CDs I may happen to sell through the uh, through that concert, will all go to Family Promise.